IBM Consulting is implementing projects for its clients on the BSV blockchain. My guest this week, Agatha Slater, works closely with BSV entrepreneurs. And although IBM remains, as she says, blockchain agnostic, it's gaining experience of BSV, which potentially it could use in working with future clients. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. So Agatha, perhaps you could start off just by telling us a little bit about your role at IBM. Sure. Um, I'm a blockchain consultant at IBM, I'm currently leading the blockchain practice in Central and Eastern Europe. And my role is to engage with our clients on building solutions based on blockchain technology, mainly from a business angle. So we have a comprehensive team that helps mostly enterprise clients design and implement blockchain solutions from conceptualizing on the use cases, on the architecture, advising on the best technology choices, all the way through to implementation and support, technical support. If a client comes to IBM with some sort of an issue that they want to improve in their processes or whatever, do they... They presumably don't come and say, what we want is blockchain for this. Is it IBM? It says, well, actually, now we've looked at your problem, what we recommend is blockchain. Is that how it works? Or? It actually works both ways. So we have some clients who have heard about blockchain, are fascinated with the technology, uh, bet on it as the technology of the future, and they approach us with the vision, some preliminary vision of how they would like to implement it. And we help them fine-tune it and address some of the, you know, issues they might have or just help them understand the capabilities of this technology better. But we also have clients who, of course, uh, come to us with a certain problem that they have. And then we uh, create a solution and blockchain might be only one piece of that solution. And that's a kosher approach, as I call it, you know, so... I see blockchain as a, as a piece of technology that works best alongside other technologies and a broader technology stack. But the main goal should be always to address a client problem first. And sometimes we even advise clients against blockchain, you know, because over the past years, there has been so much hype and push towards blockchain that sometimes we say, look, you can actually solve that problem without blockchain or that, you know, <laughs> it's not a good use case, basically. That's funny because they think blockchain is the latest thing and we must have it, I guess. Some some clients do that, yes. Well, yes, I, I, yes. Next, next it'll be people coming saying we want some AI in our that's business. That's happening already too, <laughs> yeah. And there are some clients as well who come for both technologies, but that's a very, uh, it's a very emerging Thing. And I believe that this relationship between blockchain and AI is really a very powerful one. So as a specialist in blockchain area, do you have available a number of kind of off-the-shelf solutions and that you can say, well, actually, this is the perfect thing for you? Or is it more a question of mm-hmm. uh, coming up with something that is customized mm-hmm. f- for, for each client and for each case? Um, I represent uh, a department of IBM called IBM Consulting, and our role is to remain technology agnostic. So we can propose some of solutions from the IBM offering portfolio, but we absolutely don't have to. So we might reach for the solutions that are out there or them on the market and offer them, you know, as a service um, or partner with a technology provider and together, um, you know, go to market with a certain product. 
or we can um, build custom solutions as well, depending on the, the problem that the client has. But this is a very flexible approach, and the goal is to you know serve and support the client the client in the best way we can. Because IBM is often associated with Hyperledger. It is, yes. But not it, Hyperledger is not owned by IBM or anything, I don't think. It's is. not. So IBM has contributed uh, quite substantially to the code for Hyperledger Fabric. And we have been very much correlated with Hyperledger ever since. And it's a fair correlation. We have been working with Hyperledger Fabric for many years. IBM invested a lot in this technology, and it was even a, a core of the solution called, we called I, I, IBM Blockchain Platform. So uh, it has been an IBM asset um, that, with Hyperledger Fabric at the core, um, that we would use as a sort of ready-to-go blockchain technology stack. And is that still the case today as much as it ever uh, was? It, it is changing. So an IBM's approach to blockchain is changing as well as we see the trends changing. So um, IBM also has to adjust to the emerging trends and this trend that we broadly label as Web3 is changing things a little bit. So as there is more and more uh, need for uh, digital assets, digital identity, um, you know, all these um, decentralization and building decentralized economies, uh, we also realize that we need to be more flexible as to the technologies that we propose and permissioned blockchain that Hyperledger is not always fit um, the use case based on Web3. So that's why we need to broaden our portfolio and work with permissionless blockchains as well. I mean, it's sometimes said that uh, permissioned blockchains like Hyperledger are a sort of first step for rather yes. cautious yes. corporations, and that when they get comfortable with that, then a public blockchain will be acceptable. Is that Has that been your experience? Um, to some extent. So uh, there are very good business reasons as well why clients reach for Hyperledger, for, for solutions like Hyperledger Fabric, and they're to do with privacy, with control, with compliance. So um, expecting a big enterprise to jump into a permissionless solution where they have no control um, over anything, really, um, over the ledger, uh, it's a very risky thing. So um, so one thing is, yeah, there's like a cushy way to start with blockchain. But on the other hand, there are strong business reasons uh, for which you know enterprises reach for solutions like Hyperledger. When you're talking to your clients, who is it that you have to persuade? Is it the the person with the technical knowledge, or is it their board or the, the, the CEO? or In terms of the sort of diplomacy of the thing, how does that work normally? That is a very, very good question. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for that question, because it's a big challenge. Blockchain is such a... Um, it's, it's a technology that solves business problems on the one hand, yet belong, it belongs to the technology you know, department. So it's very flexible and it's not always intuitive as to who to speak to about blockchain. Sometimes it's CIOs, sometimes it's CTOs, sometimes it's CEOs, depending on which angle we want to pursue. And there are risks associated with talking to each of those people. You know? So if you go to a CIO, and there is an innovation pressure uh, on the shoulder of that person, then sometimes it's likely that there is going, going to be a POC project and then that's it, you know, because there is an innovation. POC? Uh, a proof of concept. Proof of concept so, right. so we just try out a solution. They can tick a box that, you know, they're trying out innovation, experimenting, and 
we don't really see this solution being pushed to That's a way of sort production. of getting rid of the question. Pretty much. It, it's, I'm, I'm, of course, simplifying and, yeah. you know, it's not yeah. always like that, but it, that's, that's one of the risks. And then when you start talking to people who are um, responsible for the technology, then, of course, the main question that comes back is, why do we have to do this on a blockchain? You know, can we look for alternatives? But well, that's a legitimate question. That is a very legitimate question. So, so that's just like a different angle. And then when you speak to CEOs, they don't actually care about the technology, right? They just care about having their business problem solved. So then eventually you end up with the why blockchain question as well. But there, you know, the, the business layer is more important. And as a blockchain team, a team that uh, deploys blockchain solutions, you have to have a, a know-how, you know, a, a, like a cross, um, you know, expertise mm. on blockchain architecture development. So it is almost like uh, building new startups every time, you know, working with blockchain solutions. But working with enterprises is also quite interesting because it's a very specific environment. You know, there's Tons of policy, tons of compliance, tons of overhead that you have to overcome. And uh, it's, it's a slightly different story than, you know, being in this startup ecosystem where everything is a bit faster and a bit agile. Right. I just want to talk about Web3 a little bit because you mentioned that as kind of the evolution, really, of the, yeah. the work that you were doing. And uh, I've seen you were interviewed about this and you, you came up with this rather neat list of different aspects of, of Web3 that could be useful, which is identity, tokenization, traceability, and payments. Now, okay, so I suppose my sort of basic question is, are those things really new? Or is, is Web3 just a new word for some of the things that you could do with blockchain? Mm -hmm. To me, Web3 is uh, a certain type of promise of what internet could look like. And to make that promise work, to see it come to light, we need certain enablers, uh, technological enablers. Um, and the four components that I mentioned in an interview, to me, are the pillars of what Web3 really is. And you're correct in saying that equivalents of those solutions are already there. We have a digital identity solutions. We have ways of making payments on their internet, right? We um, okay, tokenization is maybe something unique to, to the blockchain, but um, I suppose we could have digital assets without them being on the blockchain. So we have equivalents, but as we're trying to build this decentralized ecosystem um, where certain things need to meet, right? So you need to have um, different business partners that are willing to collaborate. Um, you need to ideally be able to connect different technologies. So you know, we have tons of data being produced by IoT infrastructures. We have AI that also, you know, enables completely new solutions to be built. You need this trusted tech environment that can connect all that. And if I were to, you know, pinpoint one element that to me is absolutely fundamental, this it would be identity because it, it is this, you know, protection mechanism for a person, for a business, for a machine that will enable the communication between different stakeholders in that decentralized ecosystem in a way that is fair, transparent, and leaves the control over the data with, with the owner of that data, which is what we're missing now. You know? So uh, when we say that there are digital identity solutions, they are definitely imperfect because you know, we, we leave 
the data that is fundamental to us with, with someone else. It's just simply not how it should be. And I think it's quite intuitive. Right. Well, now you are involved in a number of specific uh, Bitcoin SV related mm -hmm. projects. Yes. Can you just perhaps give me an overview of how Bitcoin SV and its capabilities kind of sit in the kind of landscape of blockchain that you work with? Mm -hmm. So uh, being here in this conference and many other events related to Bitcoin SV, I know that there is a very passionate community behind this technology. Us stepping in, me personally uh, representing IBM, I'm a bit more withdrawn from that discussion as to, you know, which blockchain is the best, which protocol is the most optimal one. As I said in the beginning, we really just are looking to solve our clients' problems with the best tech solutions there are. So by definition, we're agnostic as to, you know, we're like passionless about this technology, but that right. leaves us an open mind to really assess the technical capabilities of this technology. And I mentioned as well that we're a comprehensive team. We have, uh, you know, technical architects, we have developers, and uh, we all looked at this technology together and uh, we assessed it from many different angles. And we feel that it offers a very good fit for enterprise use cases because of its scalability, because of low, tra uh, low transaction costs. You know, when you're proposing a solution to an enterprise, first of first thing that they're looking for is stability. You know, they can't afford to take the risk that in two years' time, uh, the blockchain that they are building an application on is not going to exist. You know, so us proposing a permissionless solution to an enterprise, we all, we're also, as I've been, accountable uh, in some ways for that. So we have to make sure that the technology fits well. And the second thing that they're looking for is scale. Um, and there are very few technologies, permissionless blockchains that uh, offer the type of scale that BSV promises. And I'm saying promises because to me, we're sort of still missing the, um, the real life applications of that scale. You know, I think this is going to change as more enterprises that have that scale by design are stepping into the ecosystem, that will be a real stress test for BSV. So it would be helpful for IBM to point to some commercial use of Bitcoin SV and sort of say, well, look, this is already working. You know, we've got a case study here that should give you confidence. Is that what you're talking uh, about? Yes, true, true. Um, however, we're, we're yet to see, you know, this technology being used by enterprises at scale, you know, but I yeah. think this is going to change very soon. Um, and we work with many clients. Some of them are still very attached to this idea of permissioned blockchains. And by this, we've already said, you know, this is sort of like a continuum. It's, it's, mm. more, it's, it's, it's like the cloud evolution, right? You start from a private cloud, then you move on to hybrid, and then you end up with public cloud. It's something similar happening with blockchain, but as enterprises, and there are more advantages um, um, adventurous enterprises who are stepping into this space, um, I think we're very quickly going to see that uh, scale being really implemented in an enterprise context. And what about the specific partnerships that you have with BSV-related startups? Can mm -hmm. you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. So um, last year, we were collaborating extensively with Smart Ledger on building the CertiHash application. Um, and this year, we actually last year, we started a very successful collaboration with gate to chain um, who are a very promising, fantastic, enthusiastic team. Um, and mm, together, we have built a, an application called Trace that creates an immutable record of 
transactions and um, a history of any asset, basically, and in a form of a digital twin. And I know that that can be used to uh, trace the uh, provenance of food because yes. uh, the, there's been some sort of dinners where people have been able to see where their lettuce leaf came from and stuff That's like true. that. That's true. I sadly missed that, but <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was good. But so that is something, uh, I mean, were, was Gate to Chain your client in that circumstance or were you sort of hiring them to produce something that you can then uh, offer to other clients? So Gate to Chain is our client and they picked us to develop the solution with them, thanks to our experience in um, these enterprise solutions. So they see Trace as a purely enterprise-grade application. That's their target client. So they wanted to use our know-how and expertise on building these sort of applications. And it's been a very successful collaboration so far. And, and is there the possibility then that you may have clients who are not related to any of this yet, and you will say, oh, well, actually, I happen to know about this thing called Trace, which might be just what you need. Absolutely. So we see a growing interest in solutions like that. And especially since, you know, there is this push towards sustainability and circular economy. Mm. Uh, there are regulations coming that will enforce that on many manufacturers. So soon solutions like Trace will become very desirable. So it's very exciting that there is, you know, um, an SS service uh, off-the-shelf solution out there that is backed by very solid technology. You've alluded to some of the sort of partisan sort of battles in the world of Bitcoin and, and around that. I mean, you, you're here at the uh, London Blockchain Conference. Uh, I mean, do you think that this um, industry is perhaps growing up a little bit and that perhaps some of those um, very sort of raw feelings are perhaps being a little bit less than they might have mm -hmm. been a few years ago and that perhaps would, it's just business now. Is, mm -hmm. Are we heading in that direction? We, we're heading in that direction. When it comes to maybe the maturity level, we're in late adolescence. <laughs> so, and I understand why people feel so passionately about that. And it would be a shame to take that away, you know, because it's a certain type of energy that draws people into these mm. events, into this ecosystem. So very vibrant culture. I really love that. Um, but yes, you know, when you are an enterprise and you come to an event where you don't understand half of the things that people are talking about because it's just stuffed with technical terminology and, you know, layer one, layer two, Ethereum, BSV, you just, you're just confused. And I'm very happy to see that move, we're moving on to, towards more business discussion. Perhaps that's split into two stages where, you know, everybody can have something that interests them, you know, because there are also technical people who want to learn more about BSV and how to apply it. So maybe that's a good split. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, to answer your question directly, yes, I think we're heading in the right direction and we need even more events that will, you know, highlight that use case, usability and feasibility of this technology. I just want to end by asking you something a bit more personal because you talk about the, the difficulties of uh, the language and the jargon here. Yeah. I know that you are a do do doctor of philosophy, a, d a PhD from Edinburgh University in yes. linguistics. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and that you studied some, well, I don't know, what would you call it, the language of Caribbean That is true. Cultures. Well done. You've done your research. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. just give me a little 
bit okay. of colour on that, which is very and interesting. I have to <laughs> not walk into a trap of using all this terminology <laughs> to explain that. Uh, but essentially, I was very interested on how language represents us as social creatures. So how we can differentiate between our identities based on how we speak. And you can analyze these trends in a very sort of indiv on an individual level and then, uh, you know, how a specific person talks. But you can also investigate communities and entire societies and be able to analyze it on a macro scale. And there are some sophisticated quantitative tools that you can apply to measure that. And that's so you, very exciting. So you went to the Caribbean and found out, you did a, was it a sort of survey of the particular words that people were using in different communities and how they were changed? And then you related that to social development or something in the um, economic uh, To some extent. So it was an ethnographic research. So it involved actually recording people. Uh, trying to capture their vernacular speech in everyday situations, which, um, you know, anthropologically is very difficult because you have to become a part of a community because we have this tendency to switch to a more formal language when we are in the presence of someone who we don't know, you know. Um, so I needed to first familiarize myself with the people. They had to do that with me to be able to really jump into that level of familiarity. And then you mentioned um, uh, words. They were actually grammatical features. So my expertise was in grammar morphology. So these little bits of words that, you know, point to specific grammatical features. Yeah, so it's, it's getting specific from there. But, um, you know, um, and that was my ac academic career. But uh, as you might already know, it finds very little applicability in real life. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, I mean, there are these communities that you're working with now. Yeah, yes. I mean, do you ever sort of get echoes of the, the those kind of ideas when you are talking to, uh, you talked about the, the different uh, uh, considerations in talking to CEOs and tech people. You must, uh -huh. uh, I wonder whether there's some sort of crossover in what you learned in, in those studies. Very interesting point. So there are definitely cultural differences and you need to be able how to navigate between them, you know, right. that's for sure. But I think it would be a very interesting thesis study, actually, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to see, uh, you know, from all sorts of angles, also linguistic, if there is a difference between these different communities and how they identify themselves. Well, <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day, yeah. I'm not going back to academia, though, not planning. <laughs> I got to thank you very much indeed. It's been a real thank you pleasure so talking to you. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thanks very much to Agatha Slater. Next week, I'll be finding out about the sports business with the founder of a new platform which promises to let you be an investor and a fan at the same time. So please join me with Raphael Gellner of Zetley Fueling Sports. Until then, thanks for listening. And from me, Charles Miller, goodbye.